And I just want to take a minute to get you to think back to when you were a child. And I want you to remember what you wanted to be when you grew up. This was a question you got all the time. I remember getting it myself. What are you going to be when you grow up? Want, when you grow up? And we have young people here that are trying to figure out what direction they want to go in life, what career path they want to pursue, what they want to do when they get older. And for all of you, there's probably somebody seated on either side of you who would just love to hear what your goal was when you were a kid. So would you please just take the next 30 uh, seconds or so and just share with someone beside you what you wanted to be when you grew up. Uh, there was a lot of laughter at the first service as well. So there must have been some great things that you were sharing with the person beside you. So I have no idea what you wanted to be. It might have been a police officer, a firefighter. Those were kind of the typical things for boys. Uh, maybe it was a doctor, you wanted to be a nurse, a, a lawyer. Like we've got all of those in our congregation. Uh, maybe it was a president of an investment company. Maybe it was even wanting to be a farmer. But whether your job requires you to wear a suit and a tie or a hard hat or scrubs or some type of uniform, your career, your work is a monumental decision. And studies show that we spend nearly as many hours at work as we do sleeping at night. And we, even more important than that, we spend more hours in the week at work than we spend non-sleeping hours at home. So we're continuing through our summer course of teaching on the book of Proverbs, and today we're going to see what the book of Proverbs has to say about our jobs. And if I hope you've been following along in reading a proverb a day through the month of July. We were late announcing that. It was the 9th of July. But August has 31 days, so if you didn't get in on that in July, start from the 1st of August, day 1, read chapter 1 in Proverbs, 2nd of August, read chapter 2, so just if you would pledge to do that, and just concentrate on those scriptures each day. But when you think about your job, what are the thoughts that go through your mind? Some of you are, are very drained when you think about your job. Some of you are actually invigorated when you think about that because your job is one that actually suits you perfectly. You're, it's a good match for you. But God is very interested in what takes place at work. We think, well, isn't he interested in what I do at home? Is he interested in what I do in my neighborhood? Isn't he interested in what I do with my time or what I do with my church? Uh, yes, he is, but God is very interested in what you do in your work environment. So look at Proverbs 14:23. Those who work hard make a profit, but those who only talk will be poor. So I chose 
a profession where I could talk a lot and it was part of the job. But, but once you see your job as God sees it, you'll have a new respect for the importance of your task and a renewed emphasis on performing that with excellence. So here's what I want you to understand today. When you are on the clock at work, you are on the clock with God. And A.W. Tozer, he shared these words. He said, it's not what a man does that determines whether or not his work is sacred or secular, but why he does it. It, So it's not so much the what, it's the why. It's our motives behind how we interact with our other employees and how we interact with our employer. All the way through the book of Proverbs, they, they talk a great deal about business life. And I want to point out two false equations. And get that word false. Remember that. Many have assumed that these are accurate. And here's the first one. Money plus position equals successful career. Success can't be measured by numbers. It's like salt water. It, it can never quench your thirst. So move ahead a few chapters to Proverbs 23. And I love this passage, and those of you that are following the reading program have read this already or will today. And it says, Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to control yourself. Wealth, it can vanish in the wink of an eye. It can seem to grow wings and fly away like an eagle. And we've experienced that. We've all known at times where we thought there was something that we wanted and we worked and we pursued that and we got it. And all of a sudden, it it just seemed like it was gone. Solomon says that your net worth need not determine your self-worth. But we tend to find security in our possessions. And as we're growing up as children, we're always taught, you know, you need the most toys to have the most significance. Chuck Caswell never lived with that philosophy. And he's discovering that the win is actually your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what winning is all about. But too many people carry that other philosophy into adulthood and try to continue in that line of thinking. So we see our jobs as purely a means to make money so that we can have more things and the career becomes the engine in order to chase after the things which we feel will make us more secure. I was putting a bag of newspapers and flyers out for our garbage pickup and I leaned it against my blue bag and a gust of wind took the paper bag and popped it over and papers and flyers start flying everywhere. And I'm thinking, I can be a bad citizen and a bad neighbor, a bad person in this world and just let them fly everywhere. But I said, no, I'm going to get them. So you know what it's like in the wind trying to step on a flyer that's flipping around and I'm not as quick as I used to be. So I'm stomping and missing things and then stomping a second time. Neighbors were smiling at me. Some of them had a puzzled look. No, nobody was helping. And, but eventually, I got them all tracked down and back in that bag again. And then I realized, all I've got here is a bag that is going to recycling. And we've all seen people like that. We've seen people chasing after something that's as elusive as the wind. And even when they get it, they find there's no real value in that. 
So we run and we run after these things. And it's not just our co-workers. It's not just our neighbors. It's us. This hunger for position and money. Now, there's nothing wrong with pursuing advancement. There's nothing wrong with making more money this year than you did last year. But as long as those pursuits pale in comparison to the priority of Jesus Christ in your life. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. He is also the author of the book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes 4, he said, I realized the reason people work hard and try to succeed. They are jealous of each other. So in other words, they want what their neighbors have. I need the car that Joe's got next door. And this too is useless, like chasing the wind. Some say it is foolish to fold your hands and do nothing because you will starve to death. Maybe so, but I say it is better to be content with what little you have. Otherwise, you will always be struggling for more, and that is like chasing the wind. Again, I saw something here on earth that was useless. So this man went through his life trying to find meaning and purpose in everything but God. And finally, at the end, he discovered meaning and purpose is in God. Larry Burkett said, We are so caught up in making more money and buy our bigger things that we have lost most of the thrust to reach the unsaved world. And it's true, one has become a bigger priority than the other. So the more loosely you hold on to the things of this world, the less control God has on your life. When generosity flows, it's difficult for selfishness to take root. Now, I'm going to give you some names, and I want you to see if you can think of what each of them had in common. The first one is William Colgate of Colgate Palmolive. And then there's William Proctor of Proctor & Gamble. Wallace Johnson of Holiday Inn. Robert Welch of Welch Grape Juice. So that's what we have in communion here every Sunday morning. J.D. Rockefeller of the Standard Oil Company. And J.C. Penney. All these people had one thing in common. They pledged from the time they were children to always give a portion of what they made back to God. They shared the profits with him. And a number of decades ago, there was a young man in Chicago that failed in attempt after attempt to have a successful business. And he finally realized that he was ignoring God in all of this. And he wasn't truly giving God the first fruits of his life. He wasn't giving that 10% back to him. So he prayed to God and he said, God, would you lead me to run the cheese business the way you would have me run it? And he promised that he would share the profits with God. And the man's name was J.L. Kraft, and he promised that he would give 25% of his income to the Lord for the rest of his life. And Kraft said this at the end of his life, the only investment uh, I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. So please understand this. Maybe the most significance you'll gain from work isn't the retirement party. It won't be the accolades. It won't be the annual raise you get. Maybe it's what you're gaining from your work. Maybe it's through your paycheck, a takeaway that you can then give to someone else. 
maybe the greatest gain is that you set aside a portion of it and gave it to your local church because you wanted to see disciple-making take place. Your labor increases profit when you give according to God's plan. Now, in Proverbs 11, we're taught how to make a fair profit. Some people give much but get back even more. Others don't give what they should and end up poor. Whoever gives to others will get richer. Those who help others will help, will actually themselves be helped. And then in Deuteronomy, and I like the way the Living Bible paraphrases this. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. So when you return God's portion to him and to his kingdom, you begin to see how tithing is actually a test. That's what it is. It's a test of our priorities. It's a barometer of who comes first in our lives. And when you begin to see that this matters more than salary or stock options or having a corner office, that probably doesn't matter much now. Most people are working from home or, or, or that nice parking spot at work. Those don't matter because Christ is eternal and all those things are going to pass away. Now here's the second false equation, and that is successful career equals satisfied life. Now I want to remind you of that because that is false. Our society has a measuring rod that seems to be more earthly than heavenly. And Chuck Swindle said, the only trouble with success is that the formula for achieving it is the same as the formula for a nervous breakdown. And he's right. People just work so hard to achieve that success, and it just affects them mentally on the way there. So in Proverbs, Solomon speaks of the ideal. And then in Ecclesiastes, he shares the personal reality of his own life experiences. So we're in Ecclesiastes 2. But then I looked at what I had done, and thought about all the hard work, suddenly I realized it was useless, like chasing the wind. There is nothing to gain from anything we do here on earth. So Solomon, he had chased those papers all over the neighborhood, and when he finally gathered them all up, he realized that this isn't as great as I thought it was. And Proverbs gives us a hint of what true success is. So Proverbs 22, verse 1. Being respected is more important than having great riches. To be well thought of is better than silver or gold. So in other words, service, not success, makes you significant. So have you done something recently for another individual? An individual that really has no hope of ever being able to give that back to you at some other time. That is what we're talking about here. Because you and I have the opportunity, we have the privilege to model ethics, integrity, teamwork, purity, and joy in the workplace. So this is how we approach our time on the clock. But you say, oh, pastor, you've never been to my place of work. You don't know what the setting is like here. And I don't know. You're right. I mean, you may say that your boss is a driver. And, well, Paul said, even if he is, 
In Colossians 3, 22, slaves obey your masters in all things. Do not obey just when they are watching you to gain their favor, but serve them honestly because you respect the Lord. In all the work you were doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. Remember that you will receive your reward from the Lord, which he promised to his people. You are serving the Lord Christ. So that's the crux of the matter. The job that God blessed you with extends to you the opportunity to begin to see not an earthly boss, but a heavenly boss, to see a master that you are totally sold out to. And it just happens to be this place of work that you're at. So that obliterates the myth that successful career equals a satisfied life because you are serving an audience of one. And other people are just there as onlookers, whether it's co-workers or whoever is there. A number of years ago, the Gallup organization conducted a survey, and they actually interviewed 186,000 people throughout North America. And this is what they discovered. They found that only 20% of the people were actually in a job that utilized one of their five abilities. And that's the reason why there's so much frustration in the workplace. 80% of the people are actually serving in a capacity in which they aren't gifted or they aren't energized. So no wonder people experience a high level of frustration. But what if you were to change your attitude and begin to see your work as a mission field? And when you go to work five days a week, you say, yeah, this is my spot. This is where God placed me. Robert Shanks said it like this. I listened to him lecture. Actually, that was way back in the 70s. But he said, career is what you're paid for, but a calling is what you're made for. And what were you made for? You were made to glorify the God in heaven through your work, through your time with your family, through your interaction with others. So make certain that's what takes place in the workplace. Sometimes I talk to people and they tell me how they've experienced so much ridicule for their faith at work or they've received pressure to act in an ungodly fashion. And I'll ask them, well, how did you handle that? And they'll say, the only way I was able to handle that is because I believe God put me there for a purpose. And that's how they viewed it. That's how they embraced it. And that's how they endured it. So we've looked at some false equations. So let's share three principles as we wrap up. And the first principle is work is a blessing from God, not a curse. And we can get confused on that when we read about what happened after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Then God said to the man, you listened to what your wife said. And you ate fruit from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat. So I will put a curse on the ground. And you will have to work very hard for your food. In pain, you uh, will eat its food all the days of your life. The ground will produce thorns and weeds for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. You will sweat and work hard for your food. Later, you will return to the ground because you were taken from it. You are dust, and when you die, you will return to dust. 
So notice that the curse wasn't on work. It was just on yard work. No, not really. Work isn't part of the penalty that God gave to humankind after the fall. Because we can read back in Genesis chapter 2, and we see that God assigned work to Adam in the garden, work for him to do, and, and it was good. The Apostle Paul shares some strong words about work for Christians in 2 Thessalonians 3. Anyone who refuses to work should not eat. Now, that's pretty straightforward. Now, back in um, 1990, I wanted to start a medical dental plan for our pastors here in Atlantic Canada. We're all independent congregations, but we work together, but don't have a denominational head that would have something like a health plan. And a guy in the church introduced me to a friend of his who was an insurance agent. And we hit it off. We did business. Then I discovered that we were actually distant cousins. So then he would come to me at times for advice. And he said, I'm trying to sell life insurance to this Christian. He has a wife, two small kids, and he's saying, I don't need insurance. God will look after me if I die. And I'm thinking, how is he going to look after that family? So... Andrew came to me and he said, there must be some verse in the Bible that I can use to convince this guy to buy insurance. And so I pointed him to this. Whoever does not care for his own relatives, especially his own family members, has turned against the faith and is worse than someone who does not believe in God. And the word used in the translation that I gave to him at the time was, is worse than an infidel. So he got the sale, and he did this a few other times as well. So here's the second principle. Laziness and dishonesty are despised by the Lord and usually lead to poverty. Because Proverbs 26 says, As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. The sluggard buries his hands in the dish, and he is too lazy to bring it back up to his mouth. That's amazing. So lazy. Puts his hand into the dish, and he's just too lazy to bring it back up to his mouth. But the book of Proverbs actually refers to the lazy as sluggards on a number of occasions. They're constantly making excuses. They're saying that it's someone else's fault. It's not my fault. And laziness doesn't just lead to financial problems. It also leads to dishonesty. And it's frustrating, isn't it, when we see evil people and it seems as if they're flourishing or we see the dishonested or the underhanded and they appear to be getting ahead. They appear to be doing very well. When you see that, just remember the big picture. It may be that God will eventually humble them here on earth or it may be in eternity. Because in Proverbs 13, Solomon said, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers little by little makes it grow. So you be honest, hardworking, and faithful to God, and he'll take care of your needs. Now, the third principle I'd like you to grasp today is work is pleasing to the Lord and is eventually rewarded. And that's a true statement. It may not be rewarded right away. It may be over the long haul. It may not be until eternity, but it will be rewarded. And in chapter 12, Solomon said, Those who work their land will have plenty of food, but the one who chases empty dreams is not wise. 
And there are so many people who squander their hard-earned dollars in search of some fantasy. Maybe they gamble it away at a casino. I followed my wife to Las Vegas back in 2017 to her national sewing machine convention, and I was just a house husband of Halifax that week, golfing and lazing around. But there was a 90-acre property that they had for this resort. But everywhere you went, you had to go through the casino because it was right in the middle. And that was to draw you in, to get you gambling. But maybe other people invest in lottery tickets or maybe it's some get-rich-quick scheme. They invested in something that they're hoping that they're going to get money back quickly. But at the root of all of that is that they don't want to earn, actually work to earn money. They just want a quick win. And that's what Proverbs is getting at here. And, and that's not the way to go about it. Slow and steady wins the race. A man by the name of Grant Smith was in the community I grew up in, and he decided to become a part of the stock car community. But he didn't have a car. He had this old truck. And an uncle of mine was a mechanic, so he fixed the truck up for Grant, put a whole lot of heavy bars in it so Grant would be secure running in those races. And that thing was heavy, and it didn't have a big motor. And it was more like a pup, pup, pup going around the track. And there were other people racing, and they had shiny big cars with big engines in them, and they were going fast. But they'd lose control in the corners and crash, and Grant goes pup, 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 pup by the pileup. And then they, some of them, they go so fast in a lower speed or gear to try and pass somebody, they'd blow out an engine. And Grant goes, pop, 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 bye. He actually won quite a few races in that heavy old truck. But it was because slow and steady wins the races. So it's wise and prudent behavior and investment and savings. But leading the way is generosity. Now, I know we've gone quickly on some of these Proverbs. There's so many you could preach for a year on them. But there are two more that I want us to look at. And the first one is good for reminding us to give an honest effort. And that's in chapter 12, verse 11. Those who work their land will have plenty of food, but the one who chases empty dreams is not wise. So, and the next one to remind us is that we need to stay on top of our own financial situation. Proverbs 27 be sure you know how your sheep are doing and pay attention to the condition of your cattle. Riches will not go on forever. So you need to know what's going on with your flock, with your finances. You need to have a plan. You need to have a budget. And the reason that we need all this is because gradually, if we're not careful, we'll begin to buy into that lie which says the secret to a satisfying Life is a satisfying career. And can I tell you something? That false statement has injured so many families. It, you work 60 hours a week, and your biggest stress in your life is your boss. Your biggest thrill is the sale that you make. Instead of the picture that your five-year-old daughter brings home from school and wants to proudly show it to you, that should give you the biggest thrill. So... 
all of a sudden we get things out of kilter and we begin to learn in time that even a paycheck or a promotion can't satisfy our deepest needs. Augustine said this to God. He said, our rest, hearts are restless until we find rest in you. But it seems that in today's culture, we're more into feeling better than finding God. And our temporary quest for position or possessions has a stronger pull than this God-shaped void in our lives. See, eventually the Christian who has been faithful, who does the work of God, who follows the will of God, will be rewarded. And you say, okay, what's the reward? The reward is resurrection. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and if we believe in him, then we will experience the power of that same resurrection. It won't happen immediately at the end of our lives, but it will happen at the second coming of Jesus Christ. You can experience heaven for all eternity because of the fact that Jesus Christ has paid that debt for you. And that's what Chuck is experiencing right now. God has done all the work, and Chuck is experiencing the pleasures of that. My wife, Pat, and I don't travel a lot by plane, but it seems like the majority of the trips that I do take follow on the heels of some type of major tragedy in the world. In March of 1991, we flew on a 10th anniversary trip to Mexico, to Cancun. And the only reason we were able to do that is because it was just the finish of the Persian Gulf War. And nobody wanted to travel, so we got uh, paid for one ticket, one hotel, food, everything, and got the other one for free. And then Pat's dad died in August of 2001, and we had tickets for Thursday, September 13th, 2001, to fly his ashes out to Alberta and have a memorial service. And uh, those of you who are old enough will remember what happened on September 11th, 2001. But it was incredible that we were still able to fly that Thursday. We were the first flight out of Halifax after the Twin Towers were brought down by the terrorist attack. And it was amazing to leave the airport. There were planes lined every runway, 50, 60 planes that had been parked there because of what had taken place. And then on that trip in October 2nd of 2017, when I went to Las Vegas with Pat, that was actually the day after the Route 91 Harvest Country Music Festival, the massacre of 60 people and 413 injured. And when we left Halifax that morning, we didn't know anything took place. And the kids were giving us messages as we were getting closer. Uh, there was something, there was some type of shooting, and then it, it, the number of people grew. And when we got landed with the plane, we were actually right beside the Mandalay Bay Hotel where this took place and you could see chairs strewn everywhere. And then in July of 1999, the church sent Pat and I to Denver, Colorado to the North American Christian Convention. And this was right after the Columbine High School shooting deaths of 11 students and two teachers. And the city was still buzzing about all of that, but at that convention, they were buzzing about this 17-year-old uh, uh, young woman by the name of uh, Christy 
Her last name was Brunel, and she was a Christian, and she was killed in that massacre. And her friend spoke at the convention and told what had happened. And they said that the gunmen came up to her and asked her if she was a Christian. And she said yes, and he shot her right on the spot. And then her friend proceeded to say this was the final thing that was posted in her diary. And it was this. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry till final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I live. That's what it's all about. If you have never received the free gift of salvation, I'm here to tell you that God has done the work for you. And all you have to do is accept his son in faith, repent of the sin in your life, confess the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, and be baptized into him. You can do that today. If you have a decision to make, talk to me. Meet me here at the front. Talk to our associate pastor, James Stevenson, or, or one of our other leaders. But you need to make that commitment.